0: This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Avast Business. With over 435 million active users of Avast products. If you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tublogcouk forward slash Avast for all the links to the details. Right now, though, let's jump into our featured interview. Hello there, Richard Tub here with a very special interview with a very special guest on a topic that I feel is very important. My guest today is Chris Brogan, a New York Times bestselling author of nine books and counting. He's a highly sought after keynote speaker and someone who has consulted and advised on business and digital marketing with pretty much all the top brands you know, including Disney, Sony, Microsoft, Google, and many, many more. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Where in the world do I find you today, mate?
1: Uh, I am in one of your first colonies, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, uh, in the as the time of this recording, the snowy northeast.
0: Yes, indeed. So it's going to be just as cold over there as it is for me at home in Newcastle upon Tyne, in the northeast of the UK, which is pretty damn cold.
1: Yes, <laughs> and um, you know the joke is always that in uh, in Europe, two hundred miles is a long distance, and in the United States, two hundred years is a long time. I'm in a, what I consider to be a very old factory building which you guys would say is a brand new uh, tenement that got put up.
0: <laughs> so let's try to uh, to keep things uh, going and keep things warm between mm. us then as we go. Um, as long-time listeners to this podcast will know, I mean, I've had the opportunity to interview some of the smartest, most successful people in business. And Chris, you're somebody I consider one of the biggest influences on me and my business journey. So up front, thank you so much for everything that you do, uh, for all the work that you've put out there over the years, for all the things that I've learned from you. Really, genuinely appreciate it.
1: I'll, I'll take credit for your wins, uh, but the failures, I, I think are probably something you did.
0: <laughs> now, we, on a, this type of podcast, we would normally get into topics like how to increase personal productivity, how to reach more people with your marketing, how to make more money. But today, Chris and I are going to talk about a topic that I feel is actually way more important in business than all of those things we're going to talk about mental health for business owners now I was diagnosed with clinical depression when I was in my early 20s but I've never publicly spoken about it before and Chris you've spoken openly and honestly uh, about your own mental health challenges and quite frankly this has encouraged and inspired not only me but so many others that I know to talk about it as well Let's kick things off by asking what made the decision for you to, to share your own challenges with others via your blog and social media?
1: I would say that the, the first thing I'd want to say about that is that I don't always have the best borders and boundaries around what I should share and what I shouldn't share. Uh, you know, And there's there's some cheek to that, some, some humor to that, but it is also true that I, I think what goes wrong a lot in helping people and advising people and giving people guidance? I mean, that's my job. My job uh, to one person and to ten thousand people is fairly the same, which is like you should try this thing. Well, one challenge that always seems to happen is you—it's you know what what—it's not—it doesn't do what it says on the tin all the time. Because we skip a few parts, we forget the part, like this works great until you deal with depression, or this is an absolutely wonderful way to look at the world, unless you're depressed, and then maybe that doesn't work, or um we really want you to express yourself in these videos, uh, but I know you went through a series of you know you had abusive situations in your past or you were adopted or you were in the foster care system, you know there's all these dark things that we think are what make us wrong or broken, and all that and I just started coming to the realization that maybe if we all realize that we're all a little bit dented, that we all have some sort of scuff, scrape, break, care, or something in our lives, and yet we still try to find our way to a version of ourselves that works for the world, maybe other people would get on to that and realize it's, it's like uh, improv acting. It's yes, and. So yes, I deal with depression, and I'm successful business advisor. Yes, I deal with clinical depression and I'm ridiculously creative and my, my sensitivity and some of the things that are negative to being depressed uh, are most definitely something that I move forward. So it's important, Richard, I think, to communicate that. But then as I started writing about it more and more and doing little audio podcasts and being on people's video shows and all that, people kept quietly coming up and saying, Oh, my gosh, I've been dealing with this for such a long time, or someone I love is dealing with this, and I don't know how to be helpful. And I felt like, Oh, my gosh, there's a whole body of work. And, and I feel that it's such a wet blanket conversation. Hey, let's talk about depression. You know, you don't get invited to keynotes for that one. <laughs> yes. But if so many people are dealing with it, Richard, then I think it's important that we make the message known and we, we kind of explain as much as we can. And we, we, we provide the information so that on people's own time and when they're ready to think about it or read about it or hear about it, uh, they can learn some ways of kind of bringing themselves forward with still dealing with that depression.
0: Yeah, I, I've had this conversation with privately with a number of other people who struggle with all, all manner of mental health issues. Um, the difference between if you've got a physical uh, Ailments, something, you know, has gone wrong against versus uh, a mental health challenge. Let me give you an example. So, three years ago, I was knocked over by a car in a hit and run accident. I did not hide that accident. A few months later, I almost bled to death in hospital on my 40th birthday. And guess what? When I didn't die, <laughs> my friends and family let people know I was okay and it was all cool. People understood, people supported me. And yet, When I've had really serious mental health issues, and I've spoken to other people who have been in this situation, when I've been right at the edge, I've kept it to myself. Why do you think that mental health issues aren't shared in the same way as physical health issues, especially in a business environment?
1: There's so much uh, weight that goes with this. And, And on top of it, and it's there's so many situations where we try to say all genders are the same, but there's just so many thousands of years of gender stereotype around males having to be strong, that number one, men, far more than women, women get as much depression as men, there's the, the stats are it's fairly even, uh, but men, far more than women, uh, don't treat it, Men um, also don't go to the hospital when they have a problem with their heart, and all those sorts of things, so there's many things like that. The other challenge, and, and, and certain cultures, you know, what, what's, what's Great Britain known for? Stiff upper lip, right? You know, carry on, soldier on, right? Uh, Churchill, you know, oh, you lost 44 of your relatives in the war. Keep going. You know, uh, it's, it's, not, it's a culture that, you know, the Western culture is basically don't show this weakness. It's not okay. Um, and, and very few cultures, by the way, the Eastern cultures aren't much different on this one. You know, oh, that's a defect. Like, let's let's kick that to the side what people misunderstand about clinical depression, because I have to say this all the time because people misunderstand. There's depression like, oh, that didn't go my way. I feel bad about that. Or, oh, I found my wife was cheating. You know, that's, that's not clinical depression. That's, you know, an event occurred and you feel bad about that event. Clinical depression is a lot like diabetes. It's a bunch of chemicals rolling through your body. And uh, it's astigmatism, you know, where you need glasses to fix it. You can't see without the glasses. Depression that you and I are discussing is a chemical scenario. So uh, no one is trained how to talk about it. Everyone says the dumbest things to people dealing with depression. They're like, oh, but just think about all the good things. Yeah. So, you know, think about broccoli when you have diabetes. You're still going to die if you don't take the insulin.
0: (laughs) Yes. So, But people often get the the difference between someone having a bad day and having an episode of depression. We all have, all of us have blue days. Yes. And I think the reality is most of us will go through some bout of depression in our lives, but how do, or at least one bout of depression, how do you help people understand the difference between having a bad day and potentially you can see the signs of somebody slipping into a depression?
1: A lot of times it's, it's, to me, this this is a non, uh, I have no legal or medical professional uh, connection to this, but... My experience has been that when you go through a series of days in a row where there's no particular reason to feel a particular thing and and when you can really point to nothing and you can just say, you know, I don't know, I'm just feeling it, you know, um, and my oldest who's 17 said that the other day, I think I'm getting ready to go into a depression. Um, everything seems fine. I don't have anything I need to deal with, but I'm pretty sure I'm feeling it, um, so you start to feel it, you start to know it. When you help others deal with it or when you yourself are trying to understand it, it's, it's not, there's a, there's a risk, there's a problem. So what happens is when we're dealing with our depression, uh, the, the chemical stuff pushes us to use our mental storytelling powers to put us in a really rough way. We, we feed that depression a little bit with our mind when the chemical stuff happens. And so you might be thinking as the morning starts, I'm okay. Sun's shining. I'm all right. I'm fed. There's no water coming in on my head from the roof. Uh, I don't see why I'm feeling depressed. And then you're like, and my family's gone and it's coming up on the holiday and everything's starts, you know, and you start doing that. You do have to decide, is that just me bringing this up? And does that mean something I can work out with the therapist or is this, you know, these chemicals are kind of bringing this about in me. One way to do it, and then by the way, don't forget there's also seasonal depression, which is still a chemical depression, but it's very impacted by lack of vitamin D, lack of sunshine, uh, there's a lot of challenges that, that go with seasonal depression. And I get that no matter what, even, you know, even if I'm on my best medication ever. Um, so, so what we have to do, how to separate those things out, is really ask a bunch of questions. You know, is, has this been a series of days? Is it starting to feel like it's always? Depression uses two words. Depression lies, number one. The most important thing you could ever know about depression is depression lies to you in your own voice. Depression uses the words always and never all the time. And I know that's kind of a joke to say always on all the time. but um, Always and never. So you, you always mess things up. You never quite get happy. You never lose weight that you say you're going to lose. All these kinds of language is almost 100% guarantee depression language um, because we don't think that absolute any other time. So I think those are ways to identify if that helps.
0: Yeah, it really does help. And and just as a side note on the the seasonal affective disorder, um, we talked at the top of the hour about you being in Boston, me being in in the UK, Man, we don't have sunlight for (laughs) weeks and months at a time here sometimes. Um, I've been using um, uh, like a a visor that beams sort of green light uh, into my eyes. And you can also uh, use it for jet lag and things like that if you need another excuse to go and buy one of these things. But um, yeah, the lack of vitamin D and things like that, there, there are ways to sort of to boost that provided you're aware that you know, that's a problem. So for anybody listening to this and perhaps you're thinking, man, I always get run down and feel tired and depressed sort of, uh, from October time onwards, it's well worth looking into something like that, isn't it?
1: Yesterday around, uh, three 30 in the afternoon. Um, I was lounging near my bed and thinking that looks really comfy over there. I think I could go to bed right now. And it was fairly dark out because the snow was coming down. It was heavy. And I thought, Oh, well that's not, I'm not really sleepy that's seasonal. And I could go in that bed and I could probably take a nap and it would probably feel really good. But I think I'm going to honor the fact that I'm not dealing with depression right now. And I'm not going to give this one to depression. I think I'll just stay awake and do some work. Um, and, but clear, and I live like a vampire in my house. You know, it's so well lit right now because these five windows are facing the sun and I have two big bright led lights, but At nighttime, it is dark as just one laptop screen in a room full of nothing. So uh, we have tools that allow us to sort of set our environment a little bit. And uh, with a real solid chemical depression, you oftentimes need medicine to help with it. But if you're on the edges of something, you can also change your environment just a wee and make it a lot better.
0: Yeah. I want to pick up on something you said uh, about your... um... Uh, is it your youngest, 17
1: now, to so? say? Oh, my oldest, yeah.
0: Oldest, sorry, forgive me. You're 17, who okay. said I'm, I'm just on the verge of something. So when I'm hitting problems with my mental health, after 43 years on this planet, I've now noticed, <laughs> finally, there are red flags that crop up. There are commonalities. For instance, I'll start to feel exhausted. I'll lose interest in things. Have you highlighted any of those red flags for yourself? And, and if so... What do you do about them when they start to crop up? Um,
1: I I think that the most common one I realize is that sort of always and nothing, always and never kind of language. Um, That's probably the number one, one. When I, um, so, so I want to talk just for a quick moment about medication because um, there are many, many, many different types of medication for depression and anxiety. And so we almost always bundle depression and anxiety. You don't always have anxiety with depression. I do, as it turns out, because I'm lucky. Um, and uh, anxiety is, it just sort of exacerbates the depression stuff. But there, so for instance, the most common set of drugs for depression are all called SSRIs, uh, serotonin something reuptake inhibitors. And what it means basically is you, you, your body has stopped allowing you to feel certain feelings because of this chemical. And if you take this other medicine, it's supposed to reopen the pathway. The challenge with SSRIs is that a good majority of them do something else to some other part of your moods and feelings. So now number one, you get fat on any of them that you want. Um, they all make you want to gain weight. Uh, number two, you lose your sex drive on most of them. And I said to my doctor, the first time that all started going down, I said, I'd rather die. Um, my sex (laughs) life is more important than my mental health, uh, because that's who I am, you know? And they were like, well, okay. Um, and then, so there are a few that sometimes work a little bit better, and then there are some experimental ones. And the last three years, I've been involved with an experimental drug here in the US. Um, and when I say experimental, it's been a drug for a very long time, but now it's being used to try and treat depression. And there's another one right on behind it. So I'll tell you both. it. Uh, ketamine is a drug that some people have heard of from the party scene. They call it Special K uh, and so I, and I, by the way, I cannot fathom someone doing this in a party setting because it is an insane hallucinogen and I took it in a doctor's office and I think I would have lost my brains if I was just standing somewhere trying to be normal. Um, ketamine started off life as an, uh, um, uh, an, an uh, sorry, uh, to knock people out, basically. And uh, well, I've,
0: I've heard of it being used in, um, on animals, like correct. horses. So it stuff. was so
1: yeah, weird yeah. for guys, uh, for grownups, adults, that they decided to give it to horses. It was a horse tranquilizer. And then it became a party drug. And then someone somewhere said, you know, I think this would do a really cool thing to dopamine. And I think this would really help with depression. People should try it. So my doctor, a few years ago, brought it up to me. And he said, you should try it. He goes, it works insanely well for like 11% of people. It works fairly well for 60 or so people. It works horrible for 20 or so, well, or no effect for 20 or so people. And then like 5 to 10% people, it's a very, very bad idea. What do you want to do? I said, let's try it. And I never win in these kinds of things. If there's a side effect, I'll find it. Um, it was flawless for me. I took this drug. Um, and I, I had to take an Uber ride to and from the doctor's office because, again, you hallucinate like crazy. I've never done an illicit drug in my life. That was insane. Um, I fell dead asleep. I called, I called Jacqueline and I said, I'm going to sleep the whole rest of the day. She goes, okay. I slept dead until the next day. I woke up like, do, doo, do, 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 I felt like Mary <laughs> Poppins and Dick Van Dyke, and I was going to go che- clean some chimneys or something. I was excitable. Um, and I went an entire year on one dose of this drug. An entire year, it pushed all chemical depression out of me. There were times when I felt like I might be heading towards depression, and I literally felt this physical flush in my body, almost like when you're embarrassed, like you got caught with your pants off or something. That flush in my body, and then I was good again. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is magic. Right behind this, I will tell you that. So so ketamine is a a naturally occurring molecule, but it's, it's, it's not exactly without flaw. Uh, they're now looking at um, psilocybin, which is uh, magic yeah. mushrooms. And they're mm-hmm. looking at it the same way they're looking at ketamine saying, I think if we gave people the extract that's in magic mushrooms, they might not have clinical depression. So I haven't tried that, and it's not available around me. Ketamine is. Um, but I point that out just to say one huge challenge with people dealing with depression is you. it takes a long time to figure out which medicine is going to work for you, and it's super important not to give up on it.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating, I say. And I'm, I've been fascinated. I, like you, I've never taken drugs, um, uh, illegal drugs, I should say. Um, sure. You know, so uh, all of the things that have been talked about here sound like absolute like miracles, um, you know, to come down. But here in the UK and, and for uh, other places in Europe, you know, those sort of things are we're well behind the curve with that, you know, things uh, they are they're unlikely uh, to be coming down for us anytime soon. So I guess my next question is, when an episode of depression hits you, how do you handle it in a healthy way?
1: Mm. Two things that are really important for your audience because of the business professionals here. So this is, this is the biggest thing about admitting you deal with depression is that means immediately that people question your reliability and your trustworthiness when it comes to just not trustworthy, like you're suddenly going to start telling lies, but you're just not going to be able to deliver And if you're not functional and you can't deliver, then it's a little hard to keep you on employment. You know, it's hard to keep you in the loop, especially if you have some very important job. So there are some real risks to just outing yourself as a depression uh, sufferer, even though it shouldn't be. Even though, like, you know, and and think of, for instance, in in safety. Uh, So you you have police and you have firefighters and, and emergency med techs. A lot of those people do with actual clinical depression, but also psychotrauma like PTSD stuff um, and cannot talk about it because if they do, they might get pulled from their their vocation. Uh, So I say this with a huge asterisk, this massive caveat that you have to really tread gently. And the way I have approached it, I'm open about it to everybody because I'm my own boss, but that means every single person, all my money comes from people who are clients who give me money. And so as my own boss, I don't have to ask the boss for a sick day, but I do have to say to my clients sometimes, hey, it's really important you know this. I'm I'm, uh, dealing with clinical depression, which is just something I manage with some medicine and some lifestyle, Um, but it sort of slows my delivery times down. And I know that you and I have a deadline coming up for the 11th. My opinion is that maybe what's going to happen is it's going to go a a week more than that. And I I may still hit the 11th, but I I need to, to sort of work a week into this schedule just in case you know, I find myself a little cramped by this. Most humans, if they're clever, are going to say, oh, okay, sure, yeah. And they're partly because they don't wanna deal with you either. They don't want to talk to you about your depression, but partly because, you know, you've really approached it in a very professional manner. You've said, I'm slipping. And the reason's a weirder reason than, you you know, most people give, but most people give like, my dog ate my homework reasons for slipping their dates anyway. And so to, to hear someone say it frank, is most definitely going to, to add a point in your book. Uh, and again, unless you're like a combat fighter pilot or something, you probably can't do that. Um, and so I feel that my communicating that I'm about to head into something like that. I try to get the word out to as many people as I think I need to tell, you know, I'm heading towards some depression. So, you know, if I'm real slow writing back, you know, I just had, I had another guy who wanted to interview me. Um, And I said, I don't think I'm going to get this by the end of the year. I'm not dealing with depression. I just need the bandwidth in case I'm dealing with it. And so I just sort of shut my doors to most everyone besides Richard Tubb because I figured, you know, I need to, I need the room. That's the other thing to to, to remind you. It's almost like when, um, again, I'm in the snow. When you're in the snow, you have to give your distance between cars a bit more space because you need more time to brake. Well, in depression, everything is partly that, but also partly you're driving around with the parking brake on. The whole time you haven't released the parking brake so it's slower and grindier so you need more time and you need less things to do so you have to clear your uh your schedule just a wee bit because it's you're going to need some of the room just to get through what you have to do
0: i'll say this quite honestly now mate that right there has massively struck a chord with me genuinely, because that is something I've been trying to find um, the way of answering for for the longest time. So, you know, I've been open and honest with my team, uh, the people around me saying, hey, this might happen from time to time. But when it comes to an episode, I am still the slowest person in the world to actually put the word out there, because I put pressure on myself. And I think no, it's fine, you can get through this and it's pointless letting other people know about this if it doesn't turn out to be true. And then the pressure piles on because you haven't got the energy and you can't do things, you know. I don't want to sound all woe is me about this, but right there, really appreciate you sharing that because it's clear to me, I need to let the people around me know in advance, hey, you know, I might be uh, going through some challenges here and I might need the extra time. Because in my experience, most people, the vast, vast majority of people, Really understanding and really kind and really accepting of these things, so yeah, that's that's interesting. And on the topic of business owners, I think most of us who are business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever tag you want to use, our days are typically quite chaotic, aren't they? We have to use our brains all the time. Uh, Oh, and then there's the small matter of worrying about where the next paycheck is going to come from, where the next money is going to come from. That can't be good for anybody's mental health, uh, you know, as a general thing. So being a business owner, being an entrepreneur is probably a, the more difficult path. What mm. advice would you, would you have for business owners in making sure that they are kind to themselves?
1: Ah, So there is a grand book. It's kind of an older book by now. And it's by this guy, Dr. Matthew McKay. And it's just called Self-Esteem. And every copy I've ever seen out in the wild it looks super old. Like there's like 1970s fonts and rainbows on it and things like that. It's awful. Um, but in that book at some point, and it's a fairly dry book. So anyone who buys books that, uh, you know, people on Richard's show recommend, this book is dry. You will start to read this and think, oh, Chris wants me to nap. Um, he has this concept in there called the inner critic. And I think he's the one who created this, but it's basically there's a voice in our head. It says a lot of negative stuff to us all the time. Everyone has it. Non-depressed people have it as well. It's called the inner critic. And the inner critic exists for an interesting function in theory. This voice exists. We, we don't know what it really means, but it for real exists. Everyone can, can point to it. The suspicion is that what it does is it tells us something bad is going to happen because it's trying to save our mental psyche from that something bad. You know, you're going to start that new diet, but you know, you failed all your diets. So it's okay. Like you just got to know that you're going to fail this one too. I need you to know that. Right. So the inner critic is such a negative person and it is uh, it is negative because it thinks it's helping you. But the problem is just like how depression lies, the inner critic is only working on past experience. And we always fail until we don't fail, right? But the inner critic has no vision for that. It has no idea what to do with it. So this next part is not Dr. Matthew McKay. It's what I did when I read about the inner critic. I came up with a fake thing called the inner coach, so the inner coach says nice things because, you know, if you've ever been in any kind of sporting environment um, and I, you know, Richard and I love comic books, so, you know, neither of us were in sports for too long. Uh, but when you're ever glancing <laughs> in a sporting environment, um, you know that coaches, if they're a decent coach, they're trying to encourage the good stuff and they're trying to sort of quietly dissuade the negative stuff. And then they're like, you know, get out there and, you know, really run between this one and this one, because that's the part where you should run. And they're just giving you little things to focus on and gather. So if you accept that the inner critic is a real voice, but it's it means you no harm, but it's not really helping you, you can do this. You could say, thank you. I totally hear what you're asking, what you're telling me. It's like a parent, right? It's like, it's like a relative or like a spouse sometimes, sadly. I get it. Thank you so much for letting me know. I really appreciate your point of view. There's a little quiet parentheses that says, so now shut up. And then the inner coach says, you know, let's try some things, okay? Let's try a few approaches. So number one, fire your inner critic politely and hire an inner coach. One, one is there no matter what, and one, you have to very consciously do something. Number two, I just said clear your schedule a bit. You know, when depression starts to hit, when you feel it's gonna hit, when you are a business owner and you're dealing with all the chaos, clear your schedule a bit. So productivity people are all about how to get the most out of the day. I schedule my days to 40% total. That's it. Because how does a computer run at 100%? It runs great for four and a half minutes and then it explodes. How does your phone work at 100%? It locks up and you have to reboot or it dies, right? Anything at 100% explodes. So why do you keep scheduling your schedule, your diary? How come you have that to 120? That's the stupidest thing anyone's ever done. Stop doing it, you stupid fool. There you go. Um, Now schedule it to 40%. If you schedule the 40%, everyone says the same to me, Chris, Chris, oh, oh, I'm so busy as it is. Why are you saying 40%? Because you're not doing anything. Like you're as busy as you feel you are, you're not succeeding. So win the 40%. And then when you do, everything else starts dropping like it into the alignment. That's, that's why there's systems and process. But if you, if you engineer the process to pick up 120%, which you can't fulfill, you failed. So business owner, schedule to 40%, hire an inner coach, fire the inner critic. And then I guess finally, realize that there's so much further you can let go of and drop and lose on the way to winning. You can fail so many things on the way to winning and you just have to figure them out. If payroll is not coming in and you have to make payroll, if you have to let someone go, then you have to let someone go. It's a detail. And if you have to lose one to save six, then you do it and you kiss that person and you say, if I can bring you back, I will. I'm so sorry, cheers, uh, you know, and I hope, it's, I hope you don't find a great new job because I want you back the minute I can afford it. You have to. And I think that so many people labor under guilt and, and fears and all these other things that they procrastinate into the point of no return and then you lose all six. So we have to make better mm-hmm. decisions faster. And we have to do that by realizing that guilt is not a decision-making tool
0: got it any other tips for uh, business owners perhaps when they're people who are listening to this um find themselves in the middle of an episode a depressive episode um so they've they've done the good things you know they've only scheduled to 40 so they've got the margin to sort of drop back a little bit any other practical advice on how to handle the 40 percent when you're in the middle of and perhaps you don't want to get out of bed
1: yeah so, uh, and by the way, I always tell people, if you don't wanna get out of bed, then make the first thing on your process trying to get out of the bed. Um, you know, if you don't wanna shower, then don't shower, you know, until you have to, until you've got that out of the house meeting or something like that, if you work at home. And if you're going to the office like that, then, you know, be like be like the uh, medieval times and just throw a little extra something on you to smell less bad. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like your life's gonna go on, whether or not you're smelly. Um, but then the other thing that happens with depression a lot is we look so much at our belly buttons. We look so much at ourselves. Depression is a, a single player sport, right? It's a me, my sport. And one way to get out of it is to remember to go look at and help other people. If, if you took nothing from this entire conversation, when you are depressed, help other people. Isn't, uh, it's not, don't help them in that way that you're trying to avoid your problem. Help them in the way that your problem is going to come or go because it's chemical and no matter what. So help someone else because it's always going to be better to be in a team sport in those moments Um, because depression is a very isolation based tool. And uh, the only thing most all of the studies that have come out about this all agree is the worse your support system, the worse your friend system, the worse your colleague system, the the more times you hang by yourself instead of even going to the pub uh, is what will kill you dead. And it takes between 10 to 20 years, I guess. It's not quite a solid number. You lose 10 to 20 years off your life if you are a hermit. Sorry, it's not like the movies, you don't get the big long beard, ladies. Um, You just basically lose 10 to 20 years off your life, it's less fun. So maybe spend some time uh, putting together some relationships. And I say that being an insane introvert and also not liking to go places, but the more we do it the more we get out and the more we say hi over a a glass of iced tea somewhere at a bar, uh, the more we have a chance.
0: I've actually got a resiliency plan that I put together so we talked earlier on about those sort of um, red flags that you see coming up and something might be up here you know and the resiliency plan uh, put together my friend uh, Polly uh, Brennan uh, who does magnificent work in uh, mental health and um, uh, adventurous Polly on Twitter definitely look her up Um, but it the resiliency plan, if I see an orange flag coming along, if I see a red flag coming along, it's basically, I'm a systems guy, Chris, I'm an IT guy. If this happens, do that. If this happens, do that. Um, and it works for me uh, broadly. You know, It works really well for me. What are the habits and routines that you've learned that help you to keep the black dog in its cage?
1: Uh, two things came right to mind. One is I try to let it out of the cage. I, you know, I, I think that have you ever done that thing where there's, a, there's a, a lone little Reese's cup in the house and you're on your best diet and you're like, if I eat that Reese's cup, i failed. And you spend so many mental calories on that Reese's cup. Yeah. You're like a dog at the table looking at the piece of steak. If the, if the owner leaves this room, that steak's gone. That's all you're thinking, right? What is that dog thinking about besides that steak? Zero, right? Eat the damn Reese's cup. Just eat it. Just get it out. So with the depression, I let the dog out. If I'm dealing with it, I'm gonna deal with it. I try my best to be alone for that and then go find people, you know, but if I'm gonna have to deal with it, if I have to have a good long cry, I have the cry, who cares? You know, I I let it go, Um, number one. Because anytime we resist something for so long, I mean, zero good things in life deal with resistance. You know, I I almost wish in wars that was never called the resistance. I always wish it was called the we're gonna fix it problem thing because it's, it's going forward, right? I get that they're resisting occupation. Um, the other thing I do, and it's like your system, I'm a big fan of like little three inch by five inch index note cards, you know? Um, and I think that if you put a few little stacks together and left them somewhere where you could get to them that put you through some really simple processes, uh, I think that helps a lot, you know, and, and one could be really as dumb as, you know, go wet a face cloth and put some soap in it and rub it around a few naughty bits and call it a day, right? Like that's, it feels gross, sounds stupid, whatever, but you know what? Sometimes in the worst of the depression, that's a win, you know, not smelling like a dead donkey might be your win for the day. So put those on a card. And then also on the card, you know, who should I be emailing right now? You know, who can I ignore? If you ask yourself some questions in those moments, it really helps and it, and it, and it assuages some of the guilt. So I think cards I'll use as one and the other is really just let the dog out because I think, Resistance wastes so many more calories. It's like procrastination and all the other things we talk about. It's just so much work to do that. And it's so much easier. Maybe I'm a bit of a hedonist, I guess, but you know, just go, go with the impulse. And I think
0: think that's wonderful advice. And I like the idea of the card. So, you know, the the resilience plan that I've got, similar sort of thing. So it'll it'll say something like, Are you feeling a little bit disinterested, a little bit low, or whatever? And then on my equivalent of the card, it will say, put your trainers on, put your headphones in, put this podcast on and go for a walk around the block. And yeah. typically I find after a, you know, a, a, a five minute walk turns into a 30 minute walk or however long the walk needs to be. I always feel better as a result um, yes. uh, of doing that. So, yeah.
1: Richard, that's a great, that's a great point. And I, and, um, <laughs> two and a half years of clinical depression in a row up until like a few, you know, I don't know, last November now. Um, movement is a massive cure and you, and you don't want to hear that when you're feeling down, you know, no. your, your cocoon, your bed or whatever, that's where you want to be all the time. But movement, it's almost like depression uh, is, you, I always feel like I'm going so slow when I'm dealing with depression, but I feel like depression's even slower than me. So if I walk, I can get away from it a little bit.
0: I like that. So I'm a techie geek you're a geek. There's no two ways about that. Technology, I love tech. I know you love tech yourself as well. I use apps like, uh, I use an app called Welltory that monitors my heart rate variable. I use an app called Dare that helps me get through periods of anxiety and depression. Have you found any tech that helps your mental health? Mm.
1: There's this very old app, um, that exists on most phones, but we we tend to forget it's there. Um, and I admit that it's so dusty, and honestly, sometimes it gets hidden in the weird drawers of your phone, you know, and you can't you can't find it. And it's called phone, I think. And um, <laughs> I found that if I actually push on that green thing, and someone, uh, I, I probably synthetic automation or something, someone talks on the other side of it. I find that is ridiculously more helpful than I thought it would be. Um, especially, I never call to complain. I just call to hear someone talk and, and try to hear about their story a little. That is my favorite app uh, that I don't want to use when I'm dealing with depression. Yeah. What, okay, let's delve into that a little bit deeper
0: digital distractions the effect of digital distractions on mental health and we could record a whole podcast about social media and things like that but you you've just said pick up the phone give somebody a call absolutely agree with that but it's so much easier to send a text message or and you know we could talk about you know this is a whole area in itself what about the effects of digital distraction on people's mental health broadly speaking what's your thoughts towards social media and all those pings bings and bongs that happen on your phone every minute of every day
1: there is so much um treacle you know there's so there's so much um sweet saccharine things that are said in this regard so often one is that you know don't forget that everyone else's social media is their highlight reel and you're comparing their highlight reel to your full tape and you know the thing about uh, cliches is they're always true at least a little that's why they're a cliche um and i think so with distraction so for instance productivity i am i am almost now known amongst uh, social media productivity types, you know, those with the podcast who love productivity, I am almost always known for saying mean things on their show, Um, you know, (laughs) because I think of a lot of people's productivity setups as uh, what I call noble masturbation. It feels good and you can justify it till the cows come home, but it's not sex. (laughs) It's not the actual act. It's noble masturbation. And so I think we do so addiction, right? So alcohol addiction, drug addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction, all of these addictions essentially handle a very specific use case, which is this thing here is bothering me and hurting me, I will do this thing here as a way to ignore that thing. And, and we do that with social media. Social media is so tied to the same mental triggers as gambling addictions as yes. well as cocaine um, that the same dopamine hit of cocaine when we see a little red one show up on something is true. The only great difference is that cocaine, the pleasure lasts a lot more Than when you look at something like social media, because when you contact, you know, read the content of the social media and someone's at yet another conference that you didn't get paid to speak at, or someone just closed another great deal that you didn't get paid to do, uh, or your ex looks hotter than they've ever looked and they're with, you know, David Bell, you know, there's so many ways that this tool can really hurt you and hurt your feelings, but it's always the same. It's a tool. So you can use it or you can abuse it. We can abuse anything. And people will say, not true. You know, I can go to the gym. The uh, Physical fitness abuse is a massive thing. And it's one of those ones that we pretend we think is good for you. Uh, but there's just as many people hiding in a gym as there are in a bar, right? And they're yeah. avoiding the same things in the gym that they would avoid if they were in the bar. So um, it's vital. And, and why I said phone, you know, somewhat cheekily is it, it's we love distraction. You know, we've invented so many things. We've invented Netflix. We've invented Instagram. We've invented Tinder, right? Like we're essentially doing a Catholic dispensation all day. Now with our device, <laughs> we're training to be priests. Uh, I think that our goal is if this is true, then what do I do? Example? I took Facebook off my phone entirely. Um, I have, I have Instagram on my phone because to me, it's the lesser of the two evils. Um, and I, I have taken all notifications off my phone except for uh, Slack, text messages, and the telephone because none of the other devices bring me uh, business or family emergencies. They bring me entertainment. I've taken Reddit off my phone. That one hurt. I really love Reddit for you know just entertainment, right? But mm-hmm. we think we are so busy all the time, but we consume hours of entertainment every day. Your software tells me what you won't which is that, you know, you spend a great deal of time on YouTube, Netflix, and whatever else. So I feel that uh, you're not supposed to live the life of a monk. You're not supposed to live, you know, in pure Luddite nature. You're not supposed to only do work. You know, that's what happened to poor Jack Nicholson. You know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in The Shining. He went a little cuckoo. Um, You need to play. And I think that you need to... Let you need to let out steam, but I think that humans overprescribe their leisure way far and away. Not just depressed, but you know, in all parts of our life, we feel so put upon that we give ourselves far more leeway than we need. And I think we need to rein that in just a wee.
0: Yeah, I love it. it at the time of recording this here in the UK, we've just gone through a general election, and I won't just say for my mental health, but for my bloody sanity had to stay away from social media because it was just a wall of negativity anyway I removed the Facebook app from my phone you know what I've not missed it in the slightest and I'm actually now realizing that putting a bit of friction between me and the social media platform so if I want to use Facebook I fire up the computer I log into Facebook and by the time I'm logged in I'm normally like "Eh, I'm bored I'm going to go and do something else like read a book or talk to my wife or go for a walk or whatever it might be instead. So yeah, the the, the mobile interface is often make things way too easy for us to to, to, to waste some time, but it, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing scenario. We, we don't have to say I'm quitting Facebook or I'm quitting Twitter or whatever, perhaps just make it a little bit harder and see how you get on without it, so yeah.
1: I feel also one of the things, one of the reasons we don't do that sometimes is we feel like we will no longer be informed. Mm is there anyone in the UK that doesn't know how that vote went? No, everyone alive, people who uh, stand outside all day in the shops and, and put up magazines and chewing gum know what happened. And it, you know, guys at the dock, you know, shoveling fish out of the boat into the truck to get to the ice, they know what happened. And so, uh, I'm pretty sure you can live in a world without Facebook if you wanted to. Um, what I, and, and you know, no particular intent meant about any particular platform. And I, you know, I love Twitter. I don't like Facebook, but you know, Twitter's not much better. Twitter also delivers anything I don't need. Uh, but what I feel is that with any of these tools we can, it's really upon us to curate and decide how we want to consume the content. And, you know, I, I made a, a tweet just today where I, I said, you know, as much as we want to malign a platform like Twitter, I asked a world famous chef, Hey, any ideas on how to cook some pork chops? My friend who works at Disney wants to know and a world-class chef answers this with her (laughs) world classiness. And it's like, that just doesn't exist anywhere. You know, my friend John messages the rock and I don't know for the rock has, I don't know how many million followers. And for some reason, his message goes right through every time. And Dwayne the rock Johnson responds back. And it's just always a fun little pip, you know, you just, the rock tweeted me. Um, There's things to be done. And and so nothing is, you know, everything that's bad is good. Everything that's good is bad. I take a drug for my depression that is also used at parties for people to lose their minds and like, you know, go rob banks or something. I don't know what they do. Um, You know, a knife can carve something up or a knife can carve someone up. You know, fire burns, fire kills, fire also feeds us. You know, it's that, right? So tools are that. So um, we can never... And anytime someone wants to praise, you know, how evil everything is, that's a story. And we get paid for stories and media, entertainment, and and the whole industry exists to make stories so that you'll pay attention. And once you remember that, and once you remember that attention is the only thing they want from you, not your consent, not your agreement, they just need your eyes so that you can then get the ad for the, the crisps you know, then you know that, oh, oh, right, that's why I'm here. And so you can you can think and act and uh, choose your, your weapons appropriately.
0: Chris, do you ever see depression being used as an excuse? For instance, I'm sorry I was an arsehole to you, but you've got to understand, Chris, I'm depressed. Do you ever see that sort of scenario where there
1: there is a comedian uh, named Tom Segura, S-E-G-U-R-A. He, is, uh, he talks about uh, disabled people. Uh, and he says that just because you have a disability doesn't mean you can't also be an arsehole. And he says, uh, you, have to, you have to earn your cool points with or without your disability. And I think the same is true for depression. And I had, to, I had to teach my oldest that because my oldest is like, well, what do you want? I'm a depressed person. I said, I'm a depressed person. I'm not being a dick to you. You know, we can we could. I'll punch you in the head. How's that feel? You know, and I so said that has nothing to do with depression. That's parenting, by the way. <laughs> Threats uh, haven't hit them yet, but one of these days, <laughs> the, um, the and, and that you know, someone's dealt with violence and family violence and stuff. I'm not making light of it. I'm just making light of my child. Um, the yes. Uh, I've seen people use depression as an excuse. I've seen people misunderstand that they're not necessarily clinically depressed. They're just depressed or they're just an ass. And I I think that uh, we all sort of, you know, sometimes a lot of people self-diagnose and that's a challenge. You know, I had a shrink tell me what my problem was. And uh, he said, I have a very mild case of severe depression. I said, so can I just call it mild depression? He goes, no, that's not what the diagnosis is. It's severe clinical depression. Yours is just mild. I said, okay. Can't you just say it a different way? And they're like, no. So until you get that diagnosis, you don't know. And you could be hearing what Richard and I are talking about and go, oh my gosh, I think this is me. But that's like those internet tests, right? Like you can go to BuzzFeed and are you a wookie? No, oh, that's weird. Turns out I'm a Wookiee. You know, it's the same until you go see someone who has you know more schooling than you. And I think that. I tell my kid all the time, and I tell other people all the time, no medical ailment allows you the right to be a total ass. Cancer, any of them, whatever. I dealt with a lot of abuse as a kid. Great. Some other people have too, and they're not asses. So we all have to really strive to connect with people. We, We are all coming at it from a very different way. But at the end of it, there's sort of a picnic and we have to all come to the picnic and there has to be civility and there has to be kindness. And there has to sometimes be an extension of understanding that not everyone there has the same capabilities, but but that doesn't give anyone the right, except maybe Tourette's, uh, to, to just bark out you know things that they have a challenge with.
0: What advice would you give to someone who works with a colleague, a client, a supplier, who experiences dips in mental health and perhaps practices- is... Let me categorize that question by saying, and he's open about it. How can you support and help that person?
1: So um, one, destigmatize it every time you can. You know, hey, how's things going with your depression? You know, how are you dealing? You know, and if you have to say it quietly, if the person's not extra out about it, then then mumble it. But, you know, hey, how's it going with your depression? I have a friend who uh, just transitioned uh, genders. So born and raised a he- decided, oh my gosh, I'm totally a woman. I'm a she. And boy, does that come with a free ride on the depression train. Um, When you are, uh, I don't know how the, I don't, there's language about like you find you're in the wrong body, basically. There's a lot that goes with that. And this person has had to deal with this for years and not really known and not really understanding how they feel about it. Uh, Married to a woman and decides that they are a woman as well. And so now there's a lesbian kind of thing that they have to decide, you know, it's, it's a big thing, right? So um, when I speak to that person, I just spoke to them a few hours before this. And I, and I was the first off, I was like, Hey lady, how's your, whatever. And, and I'm, I'm really kind of overstating my pronouns and all that sort of thing. Like I am on your team. Go, you who are a woman. Um, because by the way, when you're starting to transition, a lot of people have having trouble with it, even friends and loved ones and relatives mess up your gender all the time. Number two. Like, how's depression been? You know, what, what's what's this been dealing? What's this been like dealing with your depression? So, with your colleagues, hey, started. how are you dealing with your depression? Number one, and so, you know, it's important to make sure you're checking in 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 a, in a straightforward and simple way. Hey, how how's things going with your depression? What's going on? Um, the other is that you know, people are obviously more than their depression, and and we don't don't always want to talk about that part. I I never do. Like, you know, when someone comes up to me and and I'm in a good spot, they're like, hey, how's your depression? My depression's great how are you? You know, don't probe that. Don't be like, Oh, well, are you sure? You know, cause, cause it's, it's a, it's a chemical scenario. It's not, you know, it's not forever. It's not always, I guess, is the point. That's my whole point about depression lies. It's not always, it's just when it, when it is. Number two, it becomes really vital uh, to, to include the person as much as you can, the way you would include somebody typically not not overly so but make sure that you know hey i know you don't always like to go out when you're dealing with this sort of stuff maybe just you and i want to grab a little lunch do you want to get a cup of coffee somewhere whatever the smallest possible molecular atom of social connection that's more important and you can say look i know you're not feeling great you don't have to even talk if you don't want but let's just go get you know a bite let's get a salad or something um, and, and, and just get them to that spot where they know that they can bring the, the you that they have right then. That's really important, Richard, because when we're feeling so down and poopy, we just don't have our best on, right? We don't have our best clothes on. We smell bad sometimes cause we haven't bathed. Um, and you know, we, whatever, but we're not our best. And you need to say, I want not your best to come to this. This is okay. Yeah. We're not meeting the queen later. It's all good. And, and I think that that alone, I think helps a lot. And I think finally just saying, Hey, yeah, this one is a little fabricated, but if you do it with great intention, it's fine. Hey, I was thinking about something. I wanted to get your advice and your opinions because I said, you got to get a depressed person out of their own belly button. So cheat a little bit and fabricate and say, I need some help. And it could be whatever. Do you really think Superman is better than Batman? Cause you're full of it. You know, and then there's going to be a conversation.
0: That's wonderful advice. Really love it. As we approach the end of our time together, Chris, if we were to record this podcast again in a year's time, what would you hope would have changed in public consciousness towards mental health, especially for business owners?
1: I really, 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 really hope. I think that the more people that can just say, yeah, I deal with it. We give so much power. So I talked about transitioning and I know some people when they heard that Richard were like, Whoa, and they leaned out of their podcast a little bit. They might even take an earbud out for a moment when it came down to it. Or when it comes down to it, you know what that is? That's someone else deciding they're a different gender. And that for the very most part, that impacts you in no way, unless you're their spouse, right? If you work with John and John decides that they're Juanita, that changes nothing about the job. If Juanita is now your network systems admin, and it used to be John, well, they better do their damn job and the network better work the right way, period. Have a nice day. Well, depression's the same thing, except easier socially, you know? Transitioning gender is a lot of work. Dealing with, hey, I deal with depression. Just say it. Just say, I, you know, I, listen to my phrasing every time I've said it. I deal with depression. I am not a depressive person. I have clinical depression. I usually try to make it so easy. I just deal with depression. Um, and someone will say to me, oh, yeah, yeah, I get down sometimes myself. And I'm like, yes, I totally get that. Mine's chemical. It's more like diabetes. I've just told you I have diabetes. Oh, well, so what do you do for that? You know, I take medicine. And I try my best to sort of live within certain lifestyles. People with diabetes take medicine and they don't eat cake, right? It's so the same. And if we help more people in a year's time to understand that it's just not a big deal. And it's and it's not as de- As you've ever been, as suicidal as you've been, it's still not a big deal. It's just depression. And and I don't mean that like buck up and be better and 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 get over it. I mean it's that thing you deal with. And then there's life. So to me, that's what I hope changes in a year. Is that more people are like, yeah, I totally deal with depression. What are you talking about? It's just not a thing to worry about.
0: Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. And look, again, thank you. I've been reading, I've been reading your stuff forever um business and everything else so thank you for everything there but I, I think i read your first article when you were talking about depression for entrepreneurs depression in business it may have been 2013 2014 it then took me another couple of years to reach out to you and say meekly hey i that's me you know can we talk some more about it so thank you for, for, for being supportive not just to me for, for everybody but for anybody listening to our conversation today that might have struck a chord they might be going through things themselves. What advice would you give to them? Who should they reach out to? What should they do next?
1: I just had this conversation yesterday. Uh, someone was saying, you know, his girlfriend wants him to go to therapy, but he can't even tell his girlfriend his problem. So why in the world could he tell a therapist? I will tell you an amazing secret. Strangers are way better to talk to about your problems than your family. And your loved ones, because they have an embedded reason why they need to say the things they need to say back to you. If you are married and you are the breadwinner and you are dealing with depression and your significant other is suddenly, what will this do to my household? How will my, you know what they're going to say? Buck up, get working because I need your money. And they don't mean it mean, they mean it pragmatically, right? But when you talk to a therapist, because by the way, you can talk to any stranger. You can go to the bar and talk to some drunks you'll get advice that drunk people give. You can talk to strangers online. You can think you're getting the best conversation ever from some girl who doesn't look like your wife. But those people are all, you know, biased or not skilled in some way. But as it happens, a good therapist, because guess what? There are also very bad therapists. A good therapist or a good person who's a professional mental health person can help just ask some questions and just sort you just a little bit. And I think that, It's so important that you talk to someone and you cannot get through this yourself. About zero people have done that, you know, and when people say, well, I got through it, that they didn't get through clinical depression. They got through some dumps, you know, and everyone can do that. But this clinical stuff, that's, that's like really, really, really needing glasses. And you only crashed your car 81 times, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you're not winning a prize for that one. So go see somebody.
0: Cool. Look, thank you for your time today, mate. Really appreciate it. I know I'm not going to be the only person who appreciates this. This has been a topic that I've wanted to tackle for some time. You've been an inspiration um, to me and so many other people um, uh, talking openly and honestly about your challenges. You've helped so many people, myself included as well. And we've not even scratched the surface of who Chris Brogan is because you are way more than a depressed keynote speaker. (laughs) You are a a business guru, a digital marketing expert. You are a business storyteller. So for anybody who wants to reach out to you for any of those topics that we've just talked about uh, or to inquire about working with you, how can they find you online?
1: I wanna say one thing quickly first. The opposite of every bad thing in our life is almost always some kind of a benefit, right? So the best superheroes have a weakness Uh, But that the weakness almost always, especially in really bad writing, the weakness is also kind of a power. Um, And I think that, you know, we're fascinated by superhero stories where the guy loses the power for a while, because then you realize there's the hero inside, even though they don't have the power anymore, right? That's always the trope. This is true with depression. My secret power from depression is empathy. My secret power is I am an incredibly skilled person at translating in digital and other forms um, how to make someone feel something. And emotion moves product. That's how I sell. Um, You can decide on the specs all day long, but if you feel something about a product, that's how you buy. I need you to know that because that's the opposite of depression. You can find me so easy if you can uh, figure out my irishy sounding last name, chris at chrisbrogan.com. You can send me email. I love email from strangers or just go to chrisbrogan.com and look at my luxurious locks. I'm right there.
0: They are luxurious indeed. Chris, we've not even talked about the most important thing in both of our respective lives, and that's comic books. True. We, we, we could just do an entire podcast about that. Should we, should we record another one in, in the next couple of years all about comic books?
1: Let's schedule it up because um, I, you know, I had a friend of mine, uh, Mitch Joel, who is a very, very successful person. You know Mitch. Yeah. And Mitch said that he's, for, after years of not being a regular Wednesday, Wednesday subscriber, after years of it, he's back. And I said, Mitch, what are you reading? And I was so blown away by his answers because it was all stuff that I would know, like Hulk stuff and things. So yes, we have to have that talk next.
0: And on that bombshell, we are recording this on a Wednesday. The final part of the Batman uh, City of Bane is out today. I've got to go and read that. The episode 12 of Doomsday Clock is sat on my iPad waiting for me. So as much as I love talking to you, Chris, there's new priorities in my evening so (laughs) (laughs) all joking aside mate it has been an absolute pleasure thank you for taking time out of what i know is an incredibly busy time of year for you uh with friends family and business and everything else you are a legend my friends really appreciate you and everything that you do not just for me but for the wider community thanks so much chris brogan cheers buddy Richard here, and I wanted to give a really big shout out and to say a huge thank you to our friends at Avast for bringing this episode to you. In the face of increasingly complex threats targeting small and medium businesses, yesterday's methods are no longer enough. Cybersecurity must be quicker, smarter, and more reliable than ever before. Avast business provide a range of powerful, easy-to-deploy security products and management platforms designed for IT solution providers, and managed service providers. Avast business offer a variety of cybersecurity products that are MSP friendly. You can choose from standalone antivirus products, managed antivirus products, cloud care for layered endpoint and network security services, backup and recovery, content filtering, email security, patch management and a management console to easily deploy endpoint protection solutions to devices in your client networks. These solutions are all backed by the largest, most globally dispersed threat detection network in the world. If you've not checked out Avast's secure internet gateway, then I'd recommend taking a look at the video demo that Avast's Paul Fenwick and I recorded. It delivers a full security stack as a service that protects users wherever they go. With 30 years as a leading cybersecurity company and over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tublog.co.uk forward slash Avast for links to all the details.